0: There, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus.
1: Huh? Venus. Why not? We bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. Mm.
0: Hello and welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Reesmanell, and I'm your host. On today's program, we begin part one of four in The Best of Media Geek, and we'll be hearing from the pranksters known as the Yes Men. You do want to stay tuned. So amidst all the policy talk and uh, legislative talk and regulatory talk that goes on the Media Geek Radio Show, um, there also has to be some fun interspersed. And sometimes I think you can mix your policy with your fun. It's a bit like your chocolate and your peanut butter. They can taste great together. And some folks who do it really well is an outfit known as the Yes Men who for now, uh, nigh on a decade, have been pulling off high-profile pranks and impersonations when they've been able to go out and uh, convince various media outlets that they represent corporate and other interests, and uh, oftentimes tell the truth, which some people wish they wouldn't say. And In fact, they were in the news not long ago, back in November, when one of the Yes Men... Andy Bickelbaum, uh, posed as a U.S. Chamber of Commerce spokesman, announcing that the chamber would end its opposition to legislation addressing global warming. Um, the chamber, as it turned out, was uh, quite outraged uh, by this impersonation, and it, in fact uh, announced that it was going to file suit <laughs> against them for the impersonation. But of course, this is the this is the the, the latest in a long line of what they call identity corrections. And in fact, there's a new movie out playing in limited release about the Yes Men. It's called The Yes Men Fix the World. And this is a follow-up to their 2003 movie, which was more of a documentary about them, just simply called The Yes Men. Well, Media Geek Radio shows I've mentioned, goes back to 2002. Closing out the seventh year of broadcasting the Media Geek Radio Show. And as I mentioned last week, we'll be bringing the Media Geek Radio Show to a close at the end of 2009. And so I'm taking this as an opportunity to look back on some of the interviews and segments that um, I've enjoyed the most. And of course, when you take a look back over seven years of the show... Often the ones that that stand out to me and the ones that were the most fun were the ones that were a little less topical and a little less about the uh, communications controversy of the day and the ones that had maybe a broader outlook and you know, as I said, a real sense of fun because you know if you're if you're gonna be out there uh, and uh, making a radio show like me or making art it it really it really ought to be fun. So we're going to go back to an episode of Media Geek broadcast December 24th, 2004. And this interview is actually conducted by then-producer Drew Tarico, who talked to Mike Bonanno of the Yes Men, who had recently appeared on the BBC as a representative of Dow Chemical to take full responsibility for the Bhopal Union carbide disaster, which had occurred 20 years earlier. So now we'll go and we'll hear Mike Bonanno begin to explain well, what really the Yes Men are about.
2: Well, it kind of came to us. Uh, (laughs) We had uh, set up a couple of uh, fake websites that were meant to be satire and people were coming to the sites and inviting us to attend conferences. One of the sites GAT, was called GAT .org, and GAT is the old initials of the the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people were confusing it for the WTO in the early days. And we started receiving invitations, and we received an invitation to attend a conference from people who thought that we were the World Trade Organization. And at that point, we decided to come up with a name for what we were doing, and. Uh, or a name for us, and we called ourselves the Yes Men because our strategy was to go in and basically agree with whomever we were addressing until they embarrassed themselves by showing their true colors. So that was Mm -hmm. the idea. That's kind of the the origin story. I wish there was some industrial accident or, uh, (laughs) you know, some kind of...
3: (laughs) Came from a mundane. Yeah. (laughs) So do you feel like you guys sort of grew out of this notion that like uh, the pop culture, like 15 minutes of fame thing, or was it just a pure uh, sort of activist tactic that you felt Mm -hmm. like you had to develop in order to get the word out there?
2: Okay, let's see. There's a couple of things there. First of all, we're first and foremost activists. Our intention is to produce uh, attention, I guess, for issues that we think are underrepresented in the media or that need more focus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess that's the first part, is that we primarily see ourselves as activists, and and secondarily we try to engage creatively in that activism, you know, and uh, often that ends up being much more like art than anything else, (laughs) Um, or, you know, sometimes theater, sometimes You know, writing—it just sort of depends. And as far as our relationship to the media goes, I mean, as far as mass media goes, we're—I would say—reluctant participants. Um, We recognize that Mm -hmm. one of the only ways to speak, you know, at a volume where people can hear you today is by uh, speaking through the mass media. Um, It's the way that the majority of sort of uh, news gets out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, so you know, we've looked for creative ways uh, to—we'll call it collaborating with journalists. Um, I mean, obviously these entities in and of themselves don't have any particular desire to report on uh, left-wing social causes, <laughs> seeing especially that they're owned by only six corporations you know, the US media anyway, major media. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, I guess, weaknesses in the system that can be exploited. And many journalists, in fact, do want to report interesting stories and just can't find a way around their editors to do it.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that sort of ideologically you guys strive to to create more heroes in the tradition of activists? Or do you think you really are trying to destroy the notion of heroes by elevating yourselves this sort of a couple of middle-class guys into this sort of, you know, little uh, snippets of fame.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, uh, the fame thing is definitely not <clears throat> our goal. Um, <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not um, saying it is. I mean,
2: we found, though, that, I mean, obviously, sometimes for storytelling, people need to sort of identify the protagonist or identify with them. And mm-hmm. so, having more of a public persona has helped us for that. I mean, you look at somebody like Michael Moore, and you know the reason he's been able to achieve as much as he has and get to be so popular, in part, is because he's been a sort of a front man for his. You know, he's he's very present in in what he does. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, people identify with him. He's very congenial. Um, so you know, in, in in regard to that, yeah, I mean, Michael Moore is kind of a contemporary hero, but there's others too, like Naomi Klein. Uh, you know we like her books and especially her writings on uh, on globalization, uh, corporate globalization, which are really vital. Vandana Shiva, um, you know, uh, working on GM food issues, um, and then of course there's many historical ones too. I mean we look at in <clears throat> the not so distant past, you know, AIDS activists with groups like ACT UP, and uh, a little bit further back, you know, people. Like the Black Panthers and the tactics that they used, um, you know, mm-hmm. to get their messages out there. Other groups that work in the same time with a very different angle, like the Diggers or the Yippies, um, and then we can keep kind of rolling back the clock and look at Situationists and yeah, you know yeah. on back and on back. I mean, we also, I think, both me and Andy were influenced fairly early on by the historical avant-garde, like the 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 Dadaists and the Surrealists, and and then uh Jonathan Swift sat satirist like like that um uh and you know on back through the writings of Rabelais um <laughs> and uh all the way back to the Native American and other indigenous cultures who always had these trickster characters whose job it was was to mess with people in ways that um or In that case, I guess mess with other animal spirits, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> in in ways that made them question their reality and question power relationships.
3: Do you think like um, Do you think you guys have sort of a similar appeal nowadays because of the stunts that you pull as like the uh, the sort of Tom Greens or the MTV Jackass ilk people that uh, you know that sort of. Pretend that pull pull stunts in order to gain like sort of a media spectacle, and I, I know that you guys have a much different agenda than they do. It's not just for laughs; it's actually to bring these issues to the forefront of of consciousness. Right, right. No,
2: I mean that's that's definitely yeah. We see ourselves as a uh, part of the uh, part of that. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, we see ourselves maybe a little closer to something like Ali G, or I don't know if you know Chris Morris in the UK. I don't know, but, you know, Candid Camera, you know, before Mm -hmm. that, and even Mm -hmm. people like Ernie Kovacs did very weird things with television that I think were inspirational in that way. The thing is, like, everybody, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people enjoy a prank. They enjoy mischief. They enjoy the sort of mystery and the unexpected. Um, I mean, and there's a standard, like, elements of storytelling as well, standard elements of developing drama. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, we enjoy that, too, and we just would rather tell stories that have uh, a political message. And, you know, I, I really like Jackass, or I did like Jackass in, in the beginning, you know, and and uh, if those guys could have turned their considerable talents for mischief to uh, some kind of political ends, I think it would have been great.
3: So sort of along those lines, do you think the Yes Men will ever be sort of, uh, recognized as like superstars in in you know by by the media and by the people that you're trying to fool and then not be able to pull these stunts like what happened to Tom Green and and what mm-hmm. happened to Jackass after they you know achieved this level of you know they put out a movie and they've had a hit TV show and they did the talk show circuit you know did it sort of destroyed their ability to pull pranks in a way
2: well it doesn't seem like we have yeah danger of that happening in the United States. I mean, even after our movie came out, it wasn't like people were recognizing us anywhere um so it wasn't i don't think it was a problem. We had one case where somebody recognized us you know um it might be a bigger deal in europe uh because it seems like there's uh right and the movie isn't out here yet, and there's already been a lot more attention paid to it. It seems than there was in the U.S. So it might be, it might be a little trickier here. That's all.
3: And I know that I know that part of the the plan of the S-Men is to try to get enough people on board so that there are yeah I mean the
2: other thing is that it doesn't matter if we're recognized because mm-hmm. if it seems like it's too big a risk then we just put somebody else in to do yeah. <laughs> the, the job which would be great.
3: What would you say to a criticism? of the yes men that, um, that like these satirical pranks aren't really giving anyone the solution to the problems that you're, that you're trying to bring to the forefront?
2: Well, um, I mean, most of the time they're not, (laughs) I would say (laughs) you're right. They aren't, Mm -hmm. but there's lots of groups that are, that are doing that and are working towards solutions. (laughs) And we have used the sort of solution, as a tactic at times, like, Mm -hmm. for instance, with the WTO thing, after we had exhausted our efforts at satire, we ended up suggesting what we would do if we could about the WTO, which was to dissolve it and found the new organization whose goals were to put trade in the service of people and the environment. Um, And that was you know it was incredibly well received when we announced it i mean we announced it as the wto with the authority of the wto in front of an audience in australia an audience of uh, international trade accountants and you know they they thought it was great because you know they know that the trade policies are unfair you know in that case we not only suggested an alternative at least for uh, uh you know a little while in the heads of the audience that was there They thought that it existed, and they started working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we did the same thing for this uh, recent um, Dow Chemical hoax,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: where um, Mm -hmm. we got on the BBC and, as Dow Chemical announced uh, a solution to the problem of the, uh, the people who are still ill and dying and the contamination of the site of the Bhopal gas disaster. I mean, there we announced... A simple, straightforward solution to the problem, which is that Dow would take responsibility and use the value of Union Carbide, which was 11 billion dollars when they bought it, 11.6 mm-hmm. billion. So he said 12 billion dollars uh, to help the victims and remediate the site. You know, and further, you know, we had other stipulations as well, like bringing um, the former CEO of Dow, Warren Anderson, to justice because he is a fugitive of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, for that we did suggest an alternative. That's not to say that we're able to manifest alternatives. I think that, um, you know, there are many groups that are working toward that, and the, the improvements, unless there's revolution, are usually incremental. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But they are being made, and we hope that our efforts can contribute to those by, you know, elevating public awareness of the issues and by creating more debate and discussion about them.
0: That was Mike Bonanno of the Yes Men, talking with Drew Tarico, former producer of the Media Geek radio show that first aired December 24th, 2004. And you are listening to Media Geek, your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. There are just four Media Geek radio shows left ever. This is the first of them. Celebrating seven years of Media Geek, and I'm playing some of my favorite segments, my favorite interviews done over the past seven years here. And uh, to give you a little perspective, uh, part of that discussion you just heard with uh, Mike Bonanno, uh, we brought up was about their uh, prank, which was then recent, appearing on the BBC television to, as... Representatives of Dow Chemical, who became the owners of Union Carbide, responsible for the Union Carbide disaster in Bhopal back in 1984. And uh, we've got some uh, audio from that appearance of Mike Bonanno. This live from Paris now is Jude Finisterra. He's a spokesman for Dow Chemicals, which took over Union Carbide. Uh, Good morning to you. Um, A day of commemoration in
1: Bhopal. Do you now accept uh, responsibility? what happened.
2: Steve, yes, today is a great day for all of us at Dow and I think for millions of people around the world as well. It's 20 years since the disaster and today I'm very very happy to announce that for the first time, Dow is accepting full responsibility for the Bhopal catastrophe. We have a $12 billion plan to finally, at long last, fully compensate the victims, including the 120,000 who may need medical care for their entire Ooh, lives. That
0: sure. and to Talk about damage control there. So cool. <laughs> Um, And the Yes Men were in the news back in November uh, for appearing uh, as representatives of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to announce that the chamber would be letting go of its opposition to uh, legislation intended to combat climate change. And they're also busy right now. There's a new movie out. Uh, Actually, this one is produced by the Yes Men themselves. It is called The Yes Men fix the world it's in relatively limited release um they were also the subject of a 2003 documentary which they did not produce which is called just the yes men well in 2006 one of the pranks that the yes men pulled off was they uh impersonated Halliburton we all remember Halliburton defense contractor uh played a big role in Iraq uh Strong ties to former Vice President Dick Cheney. Well, they went to the Catastrophic Loss Conference at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel at Amelia Island in Florida back in May of 2006 in order to demonstrate Halliburton's newest then invention called the Ball, which was, quote, designed to protect the corporate manager no matter what Mother Nature throws his or her way. End quote. The person there, called himself Fred Wolf, was actually Andy Bickelbaum of the Yes Men. On the May twelfth, two thousand edition of Media Geek, I had an opportunity to talk to Mister Bickelbaum. To start, uh, c- can you tell me about the exciting new technology that Halliburton's come out with uh, to solve the problem of global warming?
1: Yes, um, as you know, uh, Halliburton is is. Uh very concerned about global warming. It's um, it's, uh, a phenomenon that scientists agree is accelerating and uh, is not only leading to disasters at the present day, but is uh, increasingly likely to lead to a catastrophic event, which would essentially endanger uh, a good chunk of human civilization. Um, if the Gulf Stream stops, for example, Europe is going to enter an ice age. Uh, various other scenarios could lead to worldwide heat uh, events or uh, widespread flooding, which could um, bury most of the Earth's major cities underwater. Um, of course, if we want to stop that from happening, um, well, that, that's basically a form of panic. And uh, it would require the reduction of, of our emissions, our carbon emissions, by about 70%, which would really cut into corporate profits. So the only rational solution is to protect the drivers of progress, those who power progress, um, from the effects of, of these um, increasingly likely events. And that's why we've invented the survivable. Yeah, it's a, it's a big orb about two meters in diameter, and in the event of a, a climate change catastrophe that's endangering a significant portion of humanity, simply the, the manager uh, enters the the ball and closes it, and is protected from everything. It can go through water, uh, snow, fire, ice... Uh, It can fall from a great height, it can go underwater for brief periods, Um, and um, various balls can also link up into a sort of a a substrate, a managerial substrate that can survive uh, climate change events indefinitely, regardless of whether there's any infrastructure. It can also protect against um, attacks, um, because in such a scenario Various groups, um, mostly affluent, are going to be battling each other, um, and so the uh, the um, survival vaults enable managers to to uh, defend against uh, marauding uh, wealthy people.
0: Um, And and this new technology, how long has it been in development?
1: Oh, since, uh, 2001, um, that was the moment when, uh, danger became a priority, and, um, and, uh, climate change also, uh, coincidentally around the time became, um, uh, accepted as a reality by, by, um, most people. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we just had to, uh, you know, accept the overwhelming preponderance of, um of uh, evidence and the consensus of science that this is happening. So it's been about five years.
0: Wow. Um, and you just debuted this technology. Was it May 9th at the yeah. Catastrophic Loss Conference?
1: Yes, May 9th was our launch date. We launched it at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Amelia Island, Florida, at a uh, Nexus conference on catastrophic loss. It was an insurance uh, conference. Many insurance uh, industry representatives were there, uh, as well as, well, especially lawyers who work with the industry. And, um, and we launched it. We, we demonstrated three uh, survival balls uh, into which we put uh, myself as well as two volunteers uh, from the audience and uh, yeah, showed how it works, uh, showed some video about it. Um, Democracy Now! has a, 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 um, some video of it showing. Um, and, and it went over quite well. Uh, the audience was appreciative, asked some pertinent and uh, incisive questions about whether this technology will be useful against terrorism. It will not accept terrorism, of course, of, of the, uh, those who have the means to actually get around, which is essentially uh, the wealthy from neighboring communities, um, and uh, the other questions involved uh, other technical matters, as well as a, a question about the cost, and we had to say, well, uh, the cost is going to be quite high.
0: Did you get any, any orders already?
1: Uh, not, any, not any firm orders, but, you know, it's, it's still in development. I mean, it's not quite finished. We still have time. So uh we're not too worried.
0: So maybe we we can now uh reveal that indeed uh you you don't work for for Halliburton directly. <laughs> I'm fired? <laughs> oh my god. So I've I heard
1: <laughs> That was quick. And we did such good work. Oh, that's terrible. Oh well, I guess I guess now I can talk to you. That's the
0: yes Men, yeah yeah, so so yes, yeah, so you were part of the group of the yes men, and and my question um, is at, at the uh, at the conference, uh, were you outed, or did you out yourself?
1: no, nope, neither no, um, we expected to be outed as we usually do this time, we were almost certain we would be outed because it 's so preposterous, and the video was so over the top, I mean at one time you see one of these. Uh, balls wandering through a field and going up to a cow and sucking out its innards and then dancing around in a field of cow skeletons. And we thought, well, for sure, uh, we're going to be called out. Um, but we weren't. We just, you know, I guess something about our tone of voice and our, our, our association with Halliburton reassured people that this was real. Um, and no, we left with, uh, with uh, a good feeling all around. Uh, One one person in the audience realized it it had to be comedy, Um, but only one. Didn't see any other smiles.
0: And and so the questions that you received from the audience were sincere?
1: Yes, yes they were, apparently. Uh, (laughs) At least we couldn't tell that they weren't. Um, Yeah, no, I think they were.
0: And and have you heard anything from Lexus Nexus or the other or the other people at the conference uh, since you've sent out your press release and revealed that uh, this is not necessarily the work of Halliburton?
1: Um, no, I think they uh, they probably uh, don't want to. Ha- they want to have as little
0: contact with us as possible. I think. I suppose that might be true. It looks like uh, the first press report I've seen uh, showed up today, actually, in the Washington Times. Yeah, I was surprised in, about that. In yep. the hallowed halls of journalism there. Well, the Moonies are, are you know, into survival as well, I suppose. Um,
1: yeah, uh, it, it was an okay article. A couple uh grammatical errors, but nothing bad.
0: And so uh how much planning had to go into uh getting into this conference and and pulling off this particular presentation.
1: A lot of planning had to go into it. Um uh as as it usually does. Um you know, it's it's uh, there's a bit of organization involved. <laughs> but uh but everything ran out went quite smoothly, pretty much without a hitch. Um, we had three three people helping us in filming and so on, and uh, um, yeah, we started planning about two months ago.
0: That was Andy Bickelbaum of The Yes Men, speaking after they pulled off a high-profile hoax posing as Halliburton, showing off. Their new survival ball for corporate executives who need to continue to work in the midst of the rising tides of global warming. That originally aired on the Media Geek Radio Show May 12th, 2006. And that brings to a close... One of the last editions of Media Geek. I will be back next week with more news and views of our media environment. But primarily, it will be more Best of Media Geeks on my favorite segments from the last seven years of the radio show. But in the meantime, the radio show is still online at radio.mediageek.net. The blog is at mediageek.net. Twitter feed, which will continue to live. Twitter.com slash Media Geek. And of course, if you have any comments about the program, please send them to me. Paul at MediaGeek.net. And Media Geek is produced live at WNUR-FM 89.3 in Evanston and Chicago, Illinois, on the campus of Northwestern University. I want to say thank you to some of the affiliate stations that have carried Media Geek over the last years, including CHMA in Sackville, New Brunswick, KQRP in Salida, California, KRFP, the first, the first affiliate station of Media Geek, KRFP, in Moscow, Idaho. Thanks so much for tuning in.